who is willing to like sit down with that young mom on the floor of the bedroom and just, you know, rock the baby with her and let her know that you're not alone in this moment and you're going to get through this. I know it's hard. I know it's extremely painful right now, but you're not the only military spouse who's felt this way. And we are all here to kind of surround you and, and carry you through and help you take the next step. Hello, this is Tab Bartley, and you are listening to the Oath We Took podcast, the show that tells the Marine Corps story through the Marines that served. I'm joined today by Lizanne Lightfoot. She is the reason for this podcast. I know so many amazing Marines who hesitate to tell their stories. Their stories hold so much power and so many life lessons. Oftentimes, though, they go untold. Not every Marine's story is the same. What is the same is the oath that we all took. I'm honored today to have Lizanne on to share a piece of her story. We'll talk about her journey as a Marine Corps spouse. So first and foremost, thank you so much for wanting to be on this podcast and being willing to share your story and your perspective as a military spouse. Absolutely. I just really appreciate the invitation. And I think it's wonderful that you're seeking that spouse perspective and giving us the opportunity to share a story. And it's something that I think is almost not talked about enough and not not brought to life enough. And I think as, as a Marine and I was dual military, there's so much that on the civilian spouse side that I had no idea of the challenges and the things you go through. And so I'm really excited to, to talk about that today. And I want to start with, when did you become a military spouse? Well, officially in 2007, when I married my Marine. But we had been dating for seven years at that point, a uh, very, very long time. And part of that is because 29 Palms was involved for five of those years. And I refused to get married during that <laughs> duty station, which everybody so, did. That's a whole other story. But yeah, we met in 2000, both of us right out of high school uh, before he joined the Marine Corps, dated for my first year of college, at which point he started talking to a recruiter and joined the Marine Corps. Then September 11th happened, which he had already signed his papers, but it was a couple of weeks before he went to boot camp. So we were right at the cusp of, um, he was doing his training and in his initial school of infantry and everything right when we were sending troops overseas. So it was a very dramatic time and a very tumultuous time to be dating or newly married. And by the time we married in 2007, he had already done three combat deployments to Iraq. And since then, he's done two to Afghanistan and two more non-combat deployments. And how much knowledge did you have about the, the military and the Marine Corps before, before that? Basically none. Oh, um, kick in the face. <laughs> yeah, not, no one in my family was active duty. I had uh, a grandfather who had served briefly during World War II and an uncle who had been um briefly went through OCS in college and served during Vietnam, but not really part of my family legacy or, or culture. And I had one friend in high school that lived at the local military base. So I had visited a military base to hang out with my high school friend. And um, that was about all I knew. <laughs> so a huge, huge kick in the face um, in regards to that and, and culture. And I think it's really cool that you you waited to get married because you didn't want to be at a certain location, which I think shows, it shows a lot of like one emotional intelligence, because as, as people know, who are listening to this conversation, there's not really a lot at 29 palms. Yeah. I think you have an audience that can appreciate that. Yeah. 
and part of that time I was in college, our plan had been to get married after college, but yeah, he kept doing back-to-back Iraq deployments from 29 Palms. He actually extended out there because he loved his unit so much and wanted to deploy with them again. So um, yeah, when I was looking at jobs and trying to get my feet after college, it was like, do I get an apartment and a job near family where I have a support system or do I fly across the country to hang out in the desert while he deploys? And that was a a somewhat easy decision to make. Yeah. And what were some of the before you were married, you know, when he's going through these deployments, what were some of the the struggles and the hardships besides being apart? But, um, you know, it was one of the driving forces of me and my husband getting married when we did was because if something happened to him, it was like, well, what would what would I do then? What were kind of those struggles or those things and conversations you guys had? Because obviously you were intimate and going to get married and you had to yeah. prepare for that. So how did you do that? It was very challenging. Obviously, uh, he had a lot of incentive to get married. He was living in the barracks and, you know, all the young Marines were encouraging him that you you make more money if you're married, you know. Um, so that was brought up definitely a few times. And like I said, I was in college for a lot of it. So it was kind of a moot point. Um, we weren't going to just get married on paper. We wanted to, you know, wait until I was done and and do it for real full time and everything. Um, but e- we even had to wait a few additional years after that. Um, and he, something did happen to him during that time. He received his Purple Heart when I was a senior in college. He was wounded in Iraq from an IED. and um, I got a phone call from him from a hospital in Germany. But at the time, there were a million questions and concerns running through my head. And one of them was, um, you know, whether or not he was permanently disabled or or injured enough that, you know, would we still be able to get married and and how would that all work? Um, I wasn't concerned at the time about being notified. And I guess really it probably just something that I I didn't know enough about the system and I was I had a decent relationship with his parents that I knew if someone had informed them they would have eventually informed me but um yeah there was so much I didn't know and it was it was definitely difficult to be dating and going through all those life deciding years when you were so far apart I can't, I really can't even uh, imagine that and how hard that must have been. And, and it's almost as a military spouse, such, such a trend of challenges. Like you're constantly faced with challenges over having to overcome them. And a lot of times alone, as you said, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's deployed so many times. And so once you are married um, and you guys have your, your family unit together and you're all of that, what were some of the challenges that you guys faced within your marriage, your family, or, or personally? Um, a lot because uh, I was um, a, a little bit of a, a bait and switch victim <laughs> in the military spouse life. So I mentioned that we had dated for seven years and that was out of his eight year contract. So even though we had a military wedding and he was in his dress blues on the altar, I was not entering into the marriage planning to be a military spouse. Our plan mutually agreed upon was that he would do his eight-year contract and then get out. And I had a lot of great career opportunities for myself. At the time that we got married, I was getting paid better than he was. I had a a lot more of a, a career potential for promotion and everything. And so that was the plan. And that was right before the economic recession of 2008. And so suddenly in the first year of our marriage, we had just had our first baby. 
And he's looking at the opportunities for getting out of the Marine Corps. And um, his initial plan had been to train with a local police department. We did not anticipate that there would be a hiring freeze for all of the local police departments. And it just really put things into perspective that in the military, he had job security, we had health insurance, we had a lot of things. And if he left, we would lose all of them. So it was a huge decision that we had to make kind of reevaluating our future and our, our um, path that we were planning to take in the first year of our marriage. And so I, I mentioned that I had avoided traveling across the country while we were dating and didn't want to be married there. And by the time we finally were married, I had literally told him, you get yourself orders to the East Coast and I will marry you because that's where I was, that's where my family was, that's what I, I was insisting on. And so he did that, he got orders to Quantico. I married him, moved to Quantico and didn't expect that we would have to move from there. So once he re-enlisted in 2008, I guess it, you know, I thought I knew what I was accepting, but wasn't fully prepared for PCS orders anywhere in the world. And since then, we have never lived near family. We went to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. We went overseas to Rota, Spain. We spent five years out in California, either at um, Pendleton or San Diego. And then we went to Gulfport, Mississippi. So none of those locations were remotely convenient to where I had grown up and what I had expected. So a lot of that was, like you said, just new challenges that Maybe in some part of my brain, I comprehended them when we were married, but I didn't understand the depth of what a PCS move does to a family, how it impacts your children, and really the impact that military life would have on our children since we weren't planning to raise them in this lifestyle originally. And I think the other thing too, and, and being a female Marine who's had a family, and I think one of the big differences with spouses, it's not like when you go to a new command, you're given all of this information and all of these points of contacts over and over, like maybe you have your, if it's a base that does like the monthly welcome aboard or whatever, and your husband happens or your spouse happens to tell you like, Hey, go there at this time. Mm -hmm. It's not as easy to have like what resources are available to you. And even if you go somewhere, the challenge of like, as a young parent, a comfortable enough to ask questions of like, what's happening to your body? What, like what's happening to your kids' bodies? That challenge I think isn't with family readiness officers. Yes. It's, there's a better approach and better, better take to it, but it's still, there's still a huge gap of an entire community that is missing a community almost and missing For those sure. resources. And, and how was that being a parent and at times being a single parent? Yeah. Um, well, I'm still doing the the single parent right now. <laughs> We're geobatching for the last nine months of his active duty service as he's preparing for retirement. So it it's an ongoing challenge. And um, I wanted to point out one of the interesting distinctions that Marine families face is that half of our duty stations were Navy bases. Um, and I know not everyone has that experience and it's not just the Marine Corps that can do that, but it is pretty common. And what that meant is that for him professionally, there was always continuity. He always had a unit to check into. He always had a job to do. But for our family, there was never continuity because we knew that when we left uh, a Navy base, that the chances of us running into those neighbors again was pretty unlikely. And then we would go to a Marine Corps base and then we would get orders to a Navy base. So we knew that there was gonna be very little chance of running into our Marines there. 
And he got to the point in his career where he started to know a lot of people and, oh, I worked with him 15 years ago. Oh, this was my officer from back in the day. But I have never had a repeat of friends and neighbors and families. So some people in, I think in other branches, or if you're stationed at a larger base, you can have that potential for overlap and a little bit of continuity. But I think it's especially challenging for Marine Corps families that are, are stationed as these kind of outliers on non-Marine Corps bases where they don't even know that there's Marine families around. So that made me very proactive in seeking out resources because no one from the command was coming to me to tell me, you know, there was no orientation. Sometimes they didn't even know that there was a Marine Corps family stationed on the base. They'd be like, oh, we're, we're Navy and Air Force here. And I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> don't let me in with you. <laughs> right. And so there wasn't... Um, there was just, there's been a lot of disconnect, which made me have to look on my own and figure out how can I get tapped into the local community? What resources are at the family center? You know, what is available to support me and my children and, and figure out the space. So we kind of became experts at, uh, you know, speed dating and speed adjusting and speed finding new friends and all of that. And what were some of the approaches or things that you did to be able to do that, to find those resources? What's kind of your go-to when you move to a new area or even before you move to a new area? Yeah, both. Um, I've gradually learned to be more proactive. So now looking ahead of time is something that we can do. I think it probably took me a few bases to even realize that that was a possibility. But yeah, you can join the spouse group online. You can, you know, follow certain accounts on Instagram ahead of time or follow certain hashtags for that base. And so you can meet people from your next base or your next school before you even move, which is amazing. Um, definitely a great resource for asking questions and just figuring out, you know, hey, we're looking at this neighborhood or that neighborhood or which school system is the base zone for? Because it looks like I could choose from one of these two, question mark. <laughs> So uh, local parents are definitely a great resource. Um, I also just had to kind of force myself to be extroverted and go to the spouse events on base and go to the unit meet and greets and like talk to other moms at the playground because, hey, you're a neighbor or you have a kid my age and eventually I might be in a situation where I need someone to pick a child up from school or like help me when I get locked out of my house or fill in the blank. So there's going to be an emergency. And I learned that if you don't have those phone numbers in your phone, being Facebook friends with people really doesn't help. So you need to have an actual number and, you know, ideally an, an ongoing chat with multiple friends and neighbors and other parents that you can just say like, Hey, I'm really sick today. And ideally multiple people will come and help you out rather than you trying to go and call and you know, tag people on social media or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is something that like, I don't think initially you even really think about, especially like as your kids are younger or for me, like I grew up around a massive family. So like when I thought of having kids, I just thought about my family being around to help not, yeah. and then never like bridge the gap that like, Hey, I no longer live anywhere near my family. Cause that's the other thing about the Marine Corps. You have East coast, West coast or overseas. Yep. And maybe, maybe random I and I or recruiting duty somewhere random, but the likelihood of you being anywhere else besides, a you know, one of the coasts or overseas is, is very, very slim. And so you, you talked about, you know, your education and your career path and how you, you know, you had, um, you had all of this, this potential and trajectory, but military spouses have the highest unemployment rate in mm -hmm. the nation. And mm -hmm. so 
what were some of your challenges in your career and in um, finding a job and staying within that career path? What were some of the challenges you personally faced? Yeah, so many. And I feel like my story is unfortunately very common. Um, had a great job that I'd had for three years before we were married, left it to relocate and move to his base, struggled to find a job, even though I had a bachelor's degree and three years of experience, I thought it would be pretty easy to get the next position. And it took months. And I was, um, this was a little while ago. So I was actually reading newspaper wanted ads. Um, I mean, social media existed and all, but it's just at one point I applied to be a door-to-door vacuum salesperson and was turned down because I would probably be too experienced or educated for the position. So I couldn't even do that. And um, it was extremely frustrating and demeaning and something that I just hadn't anticipated in military life. I think nowadays, you know, there are so many articles and so much research done about military spouse unemployment that newer spouses are becoming aware of, you know, maybe I should choose a career that's portable. Maybe I should look into a degree that would work at multiple locations. But um, getting married in the early 2000s, that wasn't on my radar at all. And so I spent probably the first almost 10 years of our marriage, either unemployed or or very underemployed. at one base, it was by choice. We we moved to Camp Lejeune. I already had an infant. I had two more children in the three years that we were stationed there. I decided to take that time to stay home with them, to work on my, online on my master's degree. And I felt that way I'd be setting myself up for success for sure at the next place. This is going to be my moment. I'm going to use my master's. And then we got orders overseas. <laughs> And in Spain, there are the SOFA agreement does not really allow Americans to work off base. It didn't even matter if I was fluent in Spanish or not. It didn't matter if you had a degree or not. There was just actual laws preventing you. And even on base, the employment rate had to be, I think, 70% Spanish nationals, 30% Americans. So you could be a bagger at the commissary or you could work at the CDC. And those were pretty much the on base options. So that was completely unexpected and not on my radar as part of military spouse life. So while I was at that duty station, I wrote a book because I didn't know what else to do with my time. Um, I wrote my first Welcome to Rota book, which explains moving to Rota, Spain, um, all the information about PCSing and local day trips and understanding Spanish culture. And it was just my way of kind of giving back and serving the community that we spent three years living with. And I had to pour my creativity into something. So it wasn't until we moved from that duty station to California, now as a family of six, and in Southern California, childcare is insanely expensive. The cost of living in general is crazy. So for the first time in his career, we really needed an income from me to supplement his enlisted pay. And I needed to do something that I could do from home because he was deploying twice out of that duty station. I had four kids. Youngest one was, you know, baby toddler and childcare wasn't affordable. So writing was something that I could do from home on my own schedule. And I had a degree in English. I just never expected to use it as a freelance writer. So I kind of started putting all the pieces together and I established my season spouse blog to get my foot in the door as a professional writer and a, a freelancer in the military community. And it did take some time and it did take, you know, some networking, but 
thankfully, happily, I've been able to keep that career for seven years now and at four different locations. That is awesome. And that's, it's cool to see that, that although you were able to use your degree, even though in a completely different way than, right. than you thought <laughs> and you're like being able to be creative with it. I think that's something that's, that's really cool. And, and to be able to have that passion in it and you focus on, on your life in a way and resources. And so can you tell me a little bit about some of the advice or some of the, the other books you've written and the resources you have for the spouse community? For sure. Thanks for asking. I do have a passion for supporting military spouses going through deployment. And so after spending all those years as a girlfriend and as a a young mom going through my husband's deployments, I've built a very welcoming community that is called Handle Deployment Like a Boss. We are available on Facebook and it's a place to just support girlfriends, boyfriends, fiancés, spouses, whatever they're going through with deployment. Um, I want it to be a supportive and encouraging community. So along with that, I've built some um, resources that you can either order through my website or print out. There's a deployment masterclass where I've interviewed a dozen other military spouses to get kind of their expert opinions on how to handle common deployment challenges and addressing common deployment needs. And then a couple of years ago, I decided to write my newest book, Open When, Letters of Encouragement for Military Spouses. And this is kind of my love letter to our military spouse community. I know that there's the tradition of putting together those open when letters and stuffing them into your service member's sea bag or, or backpack that, you know, open when it's your birthday or open when you really miss me. And I love that tradition, but I started thinking, who is writing letters to the spouses? Who is giving them that support and that encouragement in the moments when they need it the most? Who is willing to like sit down with that young mom on the floor of the bedroom and just, you know, rock the baby with her and let her know that you're not alone in this moment and you're going to get through this. I know it's hard. I know it's extremely painful right now, but you're not the only military spouse who's felt this way. And we are all here to kind of surround you and and carry you through and help you take the next step. So each of the letters in that book, it just addresses a very common moment in military spouse life, meets you in that moment and provides you the, the strength and the courage to kind of move forward through that challenge. And I love that you said, sit on the floor with you, listen and hold the baby, right? Like it's, you're not fixing the problems. You don't have a solution for everything. It's that, that I'm here and you're not alone, which as a military spouse, you're holding so much weight and so much emotional weight, especially Mm -hmm. when your spouse is deployed. And and I love what you said earlier too, about the inclusion. Mm -hmm. It's not just females who are military spouses, right? Like it's, it, it is, it is a bigger community than that. And I, um, we're dual military, but my husband got out so I could stay in. And it was such a frustration point that it seemed like so many spouse events were so just hyper-focused on like a makeover or whatever. And it's like, this is very surface level stuff. We need like, we need uh, one more emotions, but more like, again, include, inclusive, include, I can't say it. Inclusion. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And yeah, and it's not just for, I know the male spouses, particularly in the Marine Corps community are very, you know, ostracized and a a distinct minority and their voices are just really not well represented. But I think events like that aren't even serving the female spouses. Um, 
I remember being a young mom in Camp Lejeune had, you know, two or three young children at home, husbands deployed. And all of the spouse events, like you said, were like spa days and shopping trips. And that just seemed completely inaccessible to me. I was like, well, if that's what self-care is, I I guess I'm just not going to do self-care during this season of my life. That's just not something that's going to fit into my schedule right now. And it actually took a little while before I realized that you can take care of yourself without doing a full eight hour shopping trip or, you know, a, a full day away from the house. And I learned to kind of capture those smaller little moments that are less expensive and more yeah. accessible. <laughs> and like, um, where are my baby's going to go? <laughs> right. And so I've just, I think it's, it's a part of learning how to grab onto the things that you need and incorporating them into military life. And I hope that that's a skill that we can share with the male spouses or anyone else who's feeling ostracized or just not represented in spouse groups and what is you've already given so much advice but what would be like the advice that you give every new spouse or every spouse that that you feel like maybe they haven't had that somebody to to bring them in what would be the advice that you would want to give them if there was just like one or two things that you could give them right now yeah probably a lot (laughs) I have a whole blog full of advice so I'll definitely tell you to check out season spouse because you'll probably relate to some of the articles on my site but in reality I would first tell them to be proactive in seeking out the resources unfortunately for better or for worse there really isn't someone to hold your hand and walk you through new military spouse life if you're on a Marine Corps base, sometimes there's the links program. Definitely, you know, check it out and it'll help you get your bearings and explain a little bit about military life and what the local resources are. But just stand up for yourself and do your own searches of what are the local charities? What are the organizations? Ask other parents, you know, like, are there discounts available for this, that, and the other thing? Because sometimes I've been amazed how many programs there are, but they're just never well advertised never well known. And you just have to kind of do your own digging and research to do what's best for your family. Um, But definitely be proactive about reaching out and building your support network before your service member leaves. Do not wait until the first week of deployment to look around and say, oh yeah, so I need friends now because (laughs) that's not the time. You don't have the time and the energy emotionally and, and, you know, physically on your schedule to go out and socialize and build those friendships then. You needed to have been doing that months ahead of time so that those are the people you can turn to when that deployment actually begins. So I know it's hard. I know not everyone is an extrovert and sometimes you just have to grab somebody else to go to the spouse events or the base events with you and say, hey, please be my wingman, be my plus one. Like, I don't want to talk to anyone here, but I feel like I should check out the spouse group. Always check it out at least once. I've had good experiences, I've had bad experiences, but sometimes you just have to give a group a first or a second or a third try. And then if it's really not for you, you can write off that group and just go find a different group, but find the place that's going to welcome you and accept you for who you are. And what are some of the perception or what is a perception that that you wish people, that you could challenge people about being a military spouse? Mm. Yeah, there are a lot of stereotypes. Um, the, the unemployed stay-at-home mom and like the 1950s style spouse is, is definitely one that I think for whatever reason is still being portrayed in movies and, you know, in civilian culture perception of military life. And it's just not realistic. Do I know a lot of stay-at-home moms? Yes. Um, but a lot of them also have degrees. 
I think almost 20% of military spouses have advanced degrees. And then almost half of them have a, a bachelor's and then there's even more that have an associate's degree. So we are not an uneducated population that just wants to stay home and cook all the time. Um, we do have jobs. We do have career aspirations. We do have unique talents. We're very hardworking, you know, flexible, adaptive people. And I love the resiliency of our community, but I also kind of cringe a little every time that people say that spouses are resilient or they say that military kids are resilient because I think sometimes that label it just absolves anyone of any responsibility or guilt. We say, oh yeah, yeah, PCS moves are really tough on the kids, but it's okay, they're resilient. And that doesn't fix it. It doesn't make it okay. We need to have support for them. We need to have resources for them. We need to have parents that know how to talk to their kids about PCS moves and counselors and teachers who are help, able to help them unpack all of those emotions after the fact. So it's the same with our spouse community totally inspiring community. And I love all of the creativity and the amazing things that our military spouses are doing, but they are definitely under supported. And um, so many of them feel alone. And that's why I've worked so hard to make those connections and provide a welcoming place where people just won't feel so alone. And I, I think that was amazing. And the, the, the perfect answer in our, in regards to that. And, and there's so much that there is, there is no reason for for spouses to to feel alone especially in that community that like the Marine Corps is good at creating like SOPs and structures and so there should be more in support of you guys so often I hear of military spouses finding solutions to problems that they shouldn't have had to find the solution for at least by themselves right like yes input because they're the ones who are being impacted and the experts in it but it shouldn't rely on them to just solve all the problems or to solve all the problems and have to then do it all on their own. Like not only do they have the solution, but then have to create the resources. And so um, this just leads me with the last question, which if, if you had to do it all again, uh, would you? I think that is a very powerful question <laughs> because when I first read it, I uh, definitely had a lot of thoughts and I was reminded that we're always telling our kids not to play the what if game because I have, I have five children at home, right? And some of them are in middle school and some of them are in high school and they love to come up with what if questions for every possible scenario. And every time they just get really, really carried away and come up with exotic, crazy things that are totally off topic and it's very distracting. And I feel like the same could be said with military life. It's very easy to get caught in that what if game as a spouse. You know, what if we had gone to a different duty station? What if we hadn't reenlisted? What if he hadn't deployed? I mean, you could play that game forever, but ultimately I think all that leaves you with is uncertainty and regret because that's really not what happened. We didn't know what we were getting into, not when we married, not when he did his first reenlistment, not when we did the subsequent reenlistments. <laughs> um, so, you know, would I have done things differently if I had seen 20 years into the future? Maybe. Um, he has loved being an infantry Marine. However, he has also said that um, knowing what he knows now about the Marine Corps, that he probably should not have gone infantry and should not have done it for 20 years straight. It's been really difficult on the family. Um, that, you know, there was a number of other job positions that he could have accepted. And he's even said that, you know, 
he probably should have gone officer a long time ago. He, my husband has a master's degree now, but he's still going, is still an enlisted Marine and is, is going to retire enlisted. And those fine, that those are choices that we've made. And it's easy to look back and say, are there ways that I could have done things differently? Maybe. Um, but I think ultimately what we went through together and individually um, raising my kids on my own and things like that is part of who I am. It's shaped me into the mom that I am, into the friend that I am, into the author that I now am, and, and the support that I'm able to give our community. So I wouldn't be that military spouse without having gone through that journey and those challenges. So would I have liked it to have gone differently? Probably. Um, there are definitely some some ways I'd like to go back and tweak the story, you know, but am I happy with how it worked out for us? Yes. I think as we are facing retirement this year and we are we're finally settled in our forever home and eagerly waiting for my husband to move in with us in the next month or so, um, it all worked out okay. And I think we're going to be all right. And we have a lot of opportunities and hope in our future. So. This is the Oath We Took podcast, and you just heard a piece of Lizanne's story. You now know one more Marine and one more piece of Marine Corps history. Her service matters. Her stories matter. Not every Marine's story is the same. We didn't all join the military for the same reason. What is the same is the oath that we all took, an oath that easily could have ended in death, and for some, it did. So listeners, instead of asking you to thank a veteran for their service, I'm going to challenge you to continue to listen to their stories instead.